Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Bill Schufelt, who is the founder of Athletic Brewing Company. Now, Athletic is very much not your typical brewery, but it is a very fast-growing company and a leader in an emerging category that I think is a really important one and is certainly on its way to becoming a pretty big one. And so let's just go ahead and get to my conversation with Bill Schufeld. Well, Bill, welcome to the Blister Podcast. Cool. Thanks, Jonathan. Excited to be here. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. And where are you currently? I actually am in California. So we have breweries on both coasts in Connecticut and California. And I'm now California full time, which is an easy proposition in the winter. Say a bit more specifically. So with the two breweries, talk about their specific locations. So our original brewery is in Stratford, Connecticut, um, right down the street from Two Roads, and then our new brewery is in San Diego, California. Okay, so you're you're not currently suffering. Yeah, it's a it's a great time to be headed west, you could say. Well, I have really been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while, and to get us started, I think we'll just go with what is the Athletic Brewing Company? Yeah, so. The words non-alcoholic beer don't often get people excited, I know, and I wouldn't fault anyone for that. Non-alcoholic beer has decades and decades of legacy to overcome, but athletic brewing is essentially beer for the modern adult. Um, we make healthy, better-for-you, organic, great-tasting craft beer that just happens to be non-alcoholic. So we like to say brew without compromise. It's great-tasting non-alcoholic beer that you don't have to compromise on flavor, a hangover, calories, anything like that to enjoy the full social experience of beer. Well done. Okay. So when and why did you first start thinking about starting Athletic? Yeah. I mean, I never, ever would have anticipated my life would be fully absorbed in non-alcoholic beer as pretty much anyone. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I was just a very normal adult with a very traditional day job in finance. Loved my day job, loved waking up early, working out, feeling good. I was a weekend warrior and never ever, like I didn't have a desire to be an entrepreneur, definitely not in food and especially not in non-alcoholic beer, but I was a foodie, an outdoor enthusiast, a workout enthusiast. And as I was getting close to turning 30, I was about to be married, like Everything about my life was somewhat performance-based, be it my career or my workouts or my adventures. And alcohol was a really inconsistent element in that. And like the more I isolated that and with help from everyone around me, the more I realized that dropping alcohol would be a great path for like just like the biggest life hack I ever could imagine. And so I was actually training for my first ultra marathon about seven years ago. The last month of training, I stopped drinking and it was like the easiest decision in the world to never go back. I was sleeping through the night. Every workout, I felt like I wanted to accelerate the whole workout. There weren't these unproductive hangovers, down days at work. I wasn't missing workouts. And after the event, I just kind of didn't go back to drinking. And But 
immediately I still I still love to do everything else I used to do. And that could be like going to sports bars with friends, going to dinner with my wife, going to weddings, going to sporting events, having a celebratory beer after a race or a big workout. And all these very normal adult social things, I felt like such an outsider because there were I was just given the five-year-old menu at the end of all that stuff. So it was really tough to be like at a nice restaurant, having a great meal and having to pair it with a Diet Coke or something like that. And so like eventually the, like I, I felt so alienated for this very positive choice I'd made in my life and really started to wonder why there aren't any good adult options out there. And I think a big part of that might've been traditional marketing and beer marketing is really effective in convincing everyone that everyone drinks all the time, every time they're out of the house. And it's really not the case with that. So I guess long story short, it was a rabbit hole. I kind of lifted up the cover on and I haven't stopped going down it since. So kind of piggybacking on everything you've just said, and I'm sitting here like nodding vigorously. One of the things that I have found myself thinking about a lot over the last couple of years is that if someone is, say, lactose intolerant, there's like no stigma attached to that. You know, it's like you go out with friends and one person's like, oh, you know, I'm lactose intolerant. Everybody's like, oh, okay, cool. You know, we'll, we can split a pizza and, and do it a couple different ways or whatever. But then the poor people who maybe aren't lactose intolerant, but just aren't good at handling alcohol. Why did they have to have this sort of stigma associated with it, or at least that some of us might associate with it? And yet the people who are lactose intolerant, there's no stigma. That just seemed like really unfair. And, you know, I've got a number of friends who are much better people than me, who are much smarter than I am. They just don't handle this substance particularly well. So why do they need to go around like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I don't drink. Like what we have to apologize for that when it comes to, say, alcohol in ways that we don't have to if you have a peanut allergy or if you're lactose intolerant. I don't know if you've thought about this, but I just thought like this is really unfair. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. And like that's definitely like the inclusive direction we try to approach this category from we want it to be beer for anyone anywhere anytime and it, it is amazing how many so like alcohol marketing has been so effective for so long they would have you think that everyone drinks every time they leave the house where really 50 percent of adults have 0.1 drinks or less per week so eff effectively 50 percent of the adult population doesn't drink at all but 15 million Americans suffer from documented alcohol use disorder. And that is such a high number. That's That's got to be 10% of all adults. And that's only documented. And so like the way I thought about that was so many people are left out of these occasions. And like, what if we could open back up all these like feel good occasions and celebratory things? And that is a real impact that like, opening the world back up to feeling good for those 15 million people and people who were farther up the scale too is something that really like that's our impact and who we seek to serve but it, it is crazy it's like the messaging has been so effective and consistent and it it might also be because like treatment for it has always been so anonymous and shamed where really 
there just weren't good options. So like if you were passing on that, it was the other options were so bleak that there was just no in between. And we really want just beer that you can drink all day or any night of the week with your family. It's not like all these words like sober and non-alcoholic and things like that, I think are remnants of prohibition 80 years ago when we really would just want to bring them up to the present day. Yeah. And just, I guess a couple more anecdotes here and, and you certainly would be welcome to share your own, but I just, I am wondering if, you know, because look in, especially in mountain towns or in the kind of mountain bike world or ski world, like drinking is kind of part and parcel of these activities, which you've already kind of spoken well about. And I just wonder if some people are just listening to this, like, what are we doing talking about this? But a couple real recent examples for me, literally last night, I had to get on a late conference call, but with some, you know, people I liked and they're like, we're sorry, we got to do this call so late, but you know, we'll all just grab a drink and like, we'll get on the call. We'll do our thing. Well, I still hadn't gotten my workout in for the day. And so I hopped on this call at like 10 p.m. with an athletic brewing beverage. And I didn't bother to tell him because we jumped right into business. That call wrapped at like 11.30 p.m. And then I went straight into a workout, right, at like midnight that I wouldn't have done. Like I, I don't drink before workouts. And so like that was exactly one of these things where – that was a great stand-in. It was a really nice drink. I'm, I've become a really big fan of Run Wild, which is the athletic like IPA, and like got to sort of be a part of that social scene. Got done and then did a midnight workout and wasn't feeling buzzed, you know, or anything like that. A couple days ago this week, one of our reviewers came over in the evening. He had been out at dinner with a friend, had already had a couple drinks. You know, so he came over. I was like, do you want anything? He's like, no, I'm good. You know, just had dinner, had a couple drinks. And I was like, well, have one of these. And I gave him an upside dawn. We sat, hung out, talked about some kind of important stuff, but kept that kind of social fabric thing intact. And those are just two, two stories literally from this week and so I think if if people are still kind of on the like, hey, I don't have an alcohol problem, I don't need this product, it's been surprising to me how frequently I'm making use of it, even as somebody who's like, I like alcohol. Yep. So 100% what I would encourage people to do is put a six-pack of good non-alcoholic beer in your fridge that you're actually excited about. And there are so many times when you... I, I promise you'll open that fridge and want the beer, but not want the alcohol. And you'll realize this is a great beer time. It's not a great alcohol time. And I think you could argue that maybe 10% of the week is perfectly suited for alcohol. And that might be Thursday, Friday, Saturday in a certain window of hours or whenever. But I think the other 90% of the week is a potential beer occasion if it doesn't have alcohol in it too. It could be a burger with your lunch on a Tuesday. It could be like a Friday night before your long workout of the week on Saturday. It could be it could be at the ski lodge at lunch and like you're going back out with your kids and have to drive home after and but you really want a beer and like 
so there's so many occasions like that where beer like anecdotally if it's available without the alcohol i think you'll find a home for it so let's go back we've just now talked a little bit about like wow turns out there's a lot of cases and good opportunities to use a product like this still if we went back to when you were really having this idea if you'd asked my opinion <laughs> i probably would have been like wow yeah you probably shouldn't do that cuz it's a pretty terrible category that no one likes so that the risk reward of this seems skewed towards like quite high risk now you've already said your wife was really supportive of your your thought and idea but i still want to know why you were dumb enough to walk forward or what gave you the vision to walk forward with this when at the time there was just nothing very sexy about this category for sure. And I, I think that's exactly the opportunity gap that you put your finger on. It was so in the brewing world, there was very much that take. The first 250 brewers I talked to as potential teammates and co founders flatly rejected me and were not interested. And I couldn't start conversations with contract brewers, brewing partners, suppliers and vendors, even. It was a really dark time for the first six months after I quit my job. But outside in the world, like anyone I talked to, anyone I did Google surveys with, so the current beer market, non-alcoholic beer market at that time was 0.3% of the whole beer category. So basically nothing. It had been, and like you said, it had been totally flatlined for 30 years at like a really small number. But every survey I did or anecdotally described it, if I could make a great tasting beer that was like... Without the stigma, would you be excited about it? And 55% of adults said they would drink it on a regular basis. And like I'd always ask about what are the hangups on why you don't drink non-alcoholic beer, quality and stigma. And it was like always that. And so I knew if we made a great beer and put exciting marketing behind it and made it positive and aspirational, that there was a huge group of adults out there who would need very little education to start putting that in their basket and incorporating in their lives. But the beer world was not interested in it for the exact same reason, that that hadn't existed. So no one was asking for it. No one knew to ask for it. So like, yeah, there was this weird loop things were stuck in. There was no sales, so no marketing and R&D. So there's no new products. And it was just in this loop that they couldn't break out of for decades until someone really sat down. And me and my co-founder, John, brewed hundreds of batches in an empty warehouse to like refine our process and come up with a totally differentiated way to do this. And rather than using rice and corn and no hops and burning off the alcohol, we brewed fully fermented beer with all organic grains, the choicest selections of hops from the Pacific Northwest and took more care in everything from the product to the marketing, to the messaging and the sharing of the beer than had probably cumulatively ever been invested in the category. And so like right out of the gate, we were surprised by, we didn't know what that education hurdle would look like. And it was almost non-existent. Like people were waiting for it and we outgrew that brewery we built in 10 months. And so it was astonishing at like, there was just this pent up demand. And I think that's driven by the better for you and mindful trends out there in the world. What? year is it when you and John link up and start experimenting with some batches? 
Yeah. So my wife convinced me to quit my job on about December 28th, 2016. I walked in on January 2nd and resigned, didn't sleep for two days, and then faced a really solid five months of just heavy waves of rejection. And yeah, I met John reached out. Of course, I'd taken non-alcoholic off all the job advertisements and everything by that point. And I managed to keep him on the phone for like 10 minutes. And I flew down to Santa Fe and met him. And he really saw the opportunity for it right away. Um, Very similar to the work and workout example you were just saying. John was like, so I could have a great beer with dinner and then play with my kids, tuck in my kids, and then get back to work after? And he's like, yeah, I'd have that five days a week. And like, he really got the opportunity and he was a highly awarded craft brewer. And so, yeah, we teamed up in the middle of 2017, homebrewed in an empty warehouse for a year. In that time, we were kind of building in the brewery around it. And we launched in June 2018, outgrew our brewery at some point the next winter. And just this past year, uh, we bought a brewery from Ballast Point in San Diego. So really scaled up our operations about 10x. Wow. So this is funny how this kind of goes, right? With new companies, new product innovation and the like. I think it's not uncommon that once something kind of catches fire, we're like, why has nobody done this yet? And I guess that's my question to you. I mean... There's a ton of really good breweries around the world. How come none of them thought there is an opportunity here? We have all the infrastructure. We know how to brew beer. Let's just let's just go after this category and try to do it really well. And and again, like why just why is this sort of happening now as opposed to say 10 or 15 years ago? Is it is there something different about our brewing knowledge? Is there something different about the technology that's come along? Or is it really just as simple as that no one had committed to doing it well? I think a little bit of everything you just said, but I think in many ways also like, I guess a real parallel with your industry too, is the quality of information is so much better these days where it was so easy for like a very generic corporate messaging to steer all purchasing decisions for so long. And now information is so improved out there and customers and people can really find the best information now, what products actually are better and healthier or like how they actually make you feel or perform. And so I I really think that it's easier to knock down walls of misinformation because so much more information is readily available now. So I think that's part of it. I think, I don't know, with like fitness trackers and stuff like that too, like people are getting so many more data points on how they perform and feel and connecting the dots. And especially now during COVID, if it takes out even more variables, if you're at home all day, but it it doesn't take too many days of getting hungover, having a bad workout, eating poorly to realize like what is causing that loop. So I think a lot of it is informational, and so that's helping people. But I do, I do think there's also a wave of like better for you mega trends out there, and I think we're starting to see that materialize in a few different ways. I think one of the first was with alternative dairy products, and then alternative meat products, and 
I think we're very much on the same wavelength where people are exploring with different products, which like line up with how they want to feel and what they want to stand for in the world. And so I think both of those things are really important in consumer products these days. That's actually a question I wanted to ask you. With the explosion of the plant-based meat category, I just was curious if you think there's an interesting analogy there or how closely you are paying attention to that space or maybe what you're learning from the rapid growth and and really rapid acceptance of this like burgeoning plant-based meat industry. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's just like my own category. I'm really living that category. And it's how I see all the data points is just because like I'm in there looking for options and see the better options. So it's so exciting to see it develop and like be able to get a sausage egg and cheese with impossible sausage at Starbucks or like you can really curate everything you stand for and everything you want to feel and products. I, I think the learnings really do uh, deal with investment in the space. And really, it's more about opening the doors from other people than it is for me trying to follow exactly their lead. But I do, there are definitely some learnings too, in like how you approach the market and like the importance of like on-premise restaurants and aligning with chefs. And on that front, like we've really been super lucky on an organic introduction basis where a great example is Chef Cosentino. So Chris Cosentino is a incredible chef, former Ironman winner, has three great restaurants in Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, and Houston. And he also happened to be a former professional mountain biker for 15 years. And he called my cell phone and like I I didn't know at first. I was like, wait, who is this? And he was like, I just had to pick up the phone and call you. He's like, this fits into my life. This So he's like, obviously a food expert. He's obviously a really talented athlete. And it was so validating for us to have him pick up the phone and be like, this fits my lifestyle. This is what I'm all about. And he was so excited to like have to call to tell us that. And that kind of validated a lot of things that we were going for. Sorry, I, I veered a long way from plant-based there, but it's... it kind of the culinary community validating what we're working on has been so awesome to see. And um, we've had a lot of fun teaming up with uh, different chefs over the past few months. I want to go back and have you talk a bit about the specific brewing process. You, you kind of went over this, but let's just make sure people are kind of clear about what is happening here. If you are brewing regular beer and then extracting alcohol from it, walk us through this a bit. Yeah. So our baseline assumption was that the brewing community is incredible. And if current non-alcoholic beer methods worked, the technologies, people would already be using them. And all these amazing brewers would be making great non-alcoholic beer. So our baseline assumption was none of those things work. And so we started with a stripped down assumption that we had to build this from the ground up. And we wanted to do it all natural, fully fermented so that it was real fermented beer just without the alcohol. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. It, it was kind of that personal curiosity. On nights and weekends, I was just reading brewing textbooks. I downloaded every curriculum of different brewing schools out there. And yeah, I would just read for like six hours on a Saturday and underline and pretty delusional in hindsight as 
like I'd never brewed a beer before in my life before reading these textbooks. So it's definitely backwards on how most people approach the category. Yeah, we would just change one variable at a time and like change a few degrees here, a few degrees here. And ultimately, our process is about 10 all natural changes in the brewing process at different times, which result in a fully fermented beer without alcohol. So it's it's not a single step machine that is de-alcoholizing and mistreating the beer and harming it. It is a like very gentle and all natural, slow, fourteen day process that yeah, we basically let the ingredients speak for themselves in the way that they're meant to in nature. I want to ask a little bit about the current athletic customer. Now, you've already kind of made clear you guys have been growing at a pretty good clip already. And so maybe this has already evolved quite a bit. If we look at, say, the last 12 months, would the typical athletic customer be more likely to be someone who like doesn't drink at all or someone who might have an alcoholic beverage from time to time, just wants to have a non-alcoholic option sometimes? So I think it is evolving also as we kind of unlock new markets and new occasions. Originally, the category was largely people who are already existing non-alcoholic beer purchasers. And so the existing category tends to be recovering alcoholics or people with medical conditions or people that have outgrown alcohol. We have seen a big migration as awareness grows towards millennials and Gen Z, especially in urban areas, in like the metro areas and the bars and restaurants were sold. Asking bartenders and bar owners, it's a lot of 20-somethings and 30-somethings drinking our beer after work. So, And we do have an e-commerce platform where we get like a full range of data. So we have seen our the average age of our customer decrease over time, which that isn't necessary to say we're not marketing towards older people still. We are. We're just hitting a much wider range of people than the category ever did before. To answer uh, the main question, I it's somewhere between 50% of our customers drink and don't drink. But I, I do think like the word sober is kind of falling away in a lot of ways, just similarly to how the word vegan fell away. Like now people are plant-based, but like may meet sometimes. I think a lot of the, it's almost like flex sober um, in a lot of ways where people might drink on a Friday night or have like one or two drinks a week. And then just like to chill out the rest of the time and have a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, I think 50-50, I would say. But it's really tough to approximate. How do you feel about the term near beer? Yeah, Because that actually shows up on at least one of your cans. Yeah, it's actually... So it's federally regulated to be on our cans. So yeah, not our choice word for sure. We also have brew without compromise on our cans and that's what we really live by. And we want it to be, yeah, whenever someone refers to it as like fake beer, near beer or stuff like that, we, we insist that it is real beer. They've won awards versus full strength alcoholic beers just last week. So we won a gold medal in the non-alcoholic beer category at the International Beer Challenge which was hundreds of breweries, over 500 beers from 30 different countries. We won a gold medal in the non-alcoholic beer category, 
but we also won best beer of the whole competition among all the alcoholic beers and stuff too. So what? Yeah, and we won North American Brewer of the Year also. For which beer in particular? Uh, our double IPA, our Free Wave. So it's like our okay. juicy, hazy IPA. And that's one of three of our beers that have won awards versus alcoholic beers. So yeah, definitely trying to shake off that near beer type stigma. But until regulations change, we've got to have it on the labels. Interesting. This is where it does feel like there's a very interesting parallel, right? There, there have been these fights by the meat industry. What was a recent one that there was a like vegan or there was a plant-based mayonnaise and there was an industry claiming you're not allowed to call this mayonnaise or there, you know, there have been, you know, I think lawsuits about you can't call a plant-based milk milk. And so I can kind of, there, there seem to be certain parallels here. For sure. I mean, yeah, there was a ruling in the EU recently that they can't call it vegan cheese. They can't use the word cheese. And so it's, like that is a really confusing word to take away for sure. It, in many ways though, that's like us not being able to use stout on our labels. Like stout is a very specific beer. And if someone purchases your beer thinking it's going to be like a lager and they get a stout, that will be one upset customer for sure. Yeah. We can't use a set of words on our labels like stout. Well, any word that is like traditionally associated with alcohol, stout, ale, porter, a bunch of different words are off limits. Huh. Yeah. Makes it pretty tricky. I didn't realize this. Yeah. I guess you faked me out on the, I, I just didn't realize that there were certain terms absent from your naming and branding. Did you just give us sort of the complete list or were those just some of the highlights? Oh no, there are tons. And so in the alcohol free category in general too, like non-alcoholic bourbons can't use the word bourbon or whiskey also. And so that's confusing as well. So there are these great like Ritual One or Seed Lip or Lear's for those alcohol-free spirits can't use those words like gin, vodka, and stuff. So I spent way more in regulatory and than I would ever, ever admit to knowing. So how are you spending the bulk of your time these days? If we want to talk about a typical work week or a typical work month, what what are you doing? Yeah, I'm definitely a big believer in self-care. And so every day, make sure to break a sweat in some form of fashion. I'm a huge believer in mindfulness and meditation, both morning and night. And then just whatever unpredictable excitement athletic throws my way in the 10 hours in between. But it's it's really great. I'm I have so much fun with our teammates and our customers and our ambassadors. We have so many exciting projects that we're always working on. And it's really just trying to find enough time to be able to focus on the things that really matter. If I had to pinpoint some exciting things I'm working on, well, we got the San Diego Brewery up and running this year. So we can finally service the country and we're not consistently out of stock anymore, which is great. We're really expanding our two for the trails program. Um, so a core ethos to our company is we donate 2% of all sales to trail and park cleanups. And so this year we're on track to give back about $350,000 through that program. And it's not in like big checks and it's just like this goes to this specific organization. We it's a lot of it is three, five, ten thousand dollar checks to all different trail and park systems or organizations across the country. And that could be anything from 
like a local trail system that needs new signs or a bridge or a big cleanup to get 50 volunteers out there and like help give TLC to a like trail system that really needs it. We're partners with Leave No Trace, the American Hiking Society, the Appalachian Mountain Club, the Green Mountain Club, and a lot of great, like real good trail organizations. This winter, excitingly, we're kicking off a really cool element of the project where, because like on resort skiing will be so limited this year with the reservation systems across everywhere. And people are really trying to wrap their minds around that. And as I'm sure, you know, there's such a, a surge in like AT gear and skinning and like people, all sorts of people are ready to flock towards the backcountry that have never been spent significant time back there. And that was something we kind of all put our heads together as a team and how could we divert some two for the trails to really protect the backcountry, but make it safe for people too. And so we're teaming up with, so definitely Granite Backcountry Alliance up in the Northeast. Um, and then there's two more partners, one in the Northeast and one in Colorado that we're going to be teaming up with, but it's just not quite finalized yet, but we're, uh, we're really excited about that. Uh, so that's the two for the trails program is kind of what it's all about where like that's where we have our biggest impact outside of people's actual health so yeah next year we're we have so i don't want to go into too much detail but we have a really exciting grant announcement coming up early in the year which will be more public applications so yeah we're really excited for how that program's growing in the new year okay so i'm starting to get the sense like you wake up in the morning go through your normal morning routines and rituals, and then you are really having to kind of check in in a whole lot of sort of different verticals. Your your time doesn't get to be eaten up by one specific aspect of the company these days. Yeah, I think that's definitely accurate. There's areas I would love to spend a lot more time in, but then there's always mission critical things too. Yeah, really. Never enough hours in the day, for sure. I have a prediction, and I'm curious to hear what you think of it. Again, perhaps a bit analogous to what we're seeing in the plant-based meat category. I think a lot of traditional breweries are about to see what's happening in this category, or already have. And you might start having a whole lot of neighbors in this space pretty quickly, I would predict. You agree with that or or you think I'm off base? Yeah. I mean, that's the dream. And uh, this whole thing started with being super frustrated by not being able to get any good, healthy options out there. And for people who weren't drinking, there wasn't a single premium option available in the country. And my goal would be whether it's athletic or any other crapper out there to be able to go with confidence towards that shell for any menu you pick up at a restaurant to have it have two, three, five, ten great non-alcoholic beers on it. And I really think this is a, the tide is going to be coming in here for so long. I don't think we're going to be taking drinking occasions away. I think we're just going to be adding new beer occasions where so the current beer market is something like $115 billion. Non-alcoholic beer is $80 million. Well, now it's probably $150 million. So it's still right around like definitely under 1% of the whole beer market. 
the soda category is 250 plus billion dollars. And you could argue that soda is very much out of style with current health trends. It's just such a value and availability play that it still sells so much. Any small slices off that that we move over to better for you beer, I think would be an incredible win. And I I think this is going to be a tide that's coming in for a long time. We welcome good options out there. Having so like Sam Adams and Lagunitas are launching beers in the new year, and we think super highly of both of those companies. And knowing that there's going to be other quality options out there gets me really excited because the worst thing that could happen is someone goes to the shelf and gets a bad non-alcoholic beer and tells 25 friends non-alcoholic beer still stinks and the category doesn't grow and stigma still exists so yeah we're we're excited for the help as long as people talk about it in the positive way we talk about the category great answer and a surprising one as i have been kind of getting ready for this conversation when i made my prediction i i if i were you I thought the answer would be like, yeah, that's why I'm like staying, like I can't sleep at night. (laughs) So your answer was kind of opposite of what I was expecting. And yet I've got to ask, or I've got to assume that you want to think about how to gain market share, not get steamrolled and the rest. As this category is going to have more players in it, how much of your time, I guess I'll say, or time or energy are you putting into thinking about how do we maintain to be a, you know, keep consideration in that space? So I I really think as a company, I mean, we're doing everything authentically that we want to be doing. I mean, we're brewing great beer, having a positive impact on people's health. And by the more beer we sell, the more impact we have on the environment and things I care about also. And so it's that's kind of a win-win-win in fulfillment for me. And it doesn't necessarily attach to any specific sales goals, really, in that conversation. But that being said, I do think this category, so if the total beer market is $115 billion, I think, I think it would really be undershooting if this wasn't a $10 billion category in 10 years. And I would love to think we're a 1% player of that. Like, I think 1% would be really conservative. So I'm just very confident in the tide that's coming in, I'm, I guess I'm saying. But um, also our position in it, it's uh, we, we don't always need to be the biggest, the most commercial. We just want to be really confident that we're making the best beer and we're making our customers and our ambassadors really excited and proud to be associated with us. Let's talk a bit about the athletic staples in your lineup the the stuff that you kind of are well i know you've been selling out that's been an issue of like just being able to keep things in stock but talk a little bit about the kind of go-to staples in the lineup and then how frequently are you just in the laboratory spinning up new ideas that may or may not come to market For sure. And so we have two really widely approachable beers that we refer to as our flagships. And they're good in all seasons. They're 50 to 70 calories, make sense in a huge range of occasions and days of the week. And they're by far our most requested products. And so that's our Run Wild IPA, which is our West Coast IPA with a backbone of organic animal and five different Pacific Northwest hops. But it's just a really crushable 
approachable IPA. That's our biggest beer by far. And then our Upside Dawn Golden Ale is 50 calories. It's crafted to remove gluten. It's a golden ale. Um, we kind of call that our guilt-free like weeknight beer. And it's either like a great super light weeknight beer or it's like your crisp, refreshing post-race beer or something like that. And then outside of that, we... So we have a double IPA, which is almost always available. And that's definitely our third most popular beer, especially in like the Pacific Northwest and New England. And then outside of that, we really just try to keep it interesting for people. Our brewing team has a lot of fun making new stuff. And we probably put out 25 to 30 different beers this year. And that ranged from, say, like our summer fruit stand Goza series, which we had a blackberry, we had a raspberry goes uh cucumber goes our traditional goes which is um more sea salt coriander and lime leaf and then we did a whole range of ipas we did a single hop ipa series like really dialing in on each individual hop a few west coast super hoppy bitter ipas we did uh new england juicy ipa where we raised that's actually interesting. We raised $75,000 for the Pan Mass can- uh, Challenge, which is the biggest cancer charity in the country, basically. Um, but that was a really popular New England hazy IPA. And then we do a whole range of coffee porters, coffee stouts, peanut butter stouts and stuff. So we're having a lot of fun with it. There's a pretty much a new beer every week that we... The great thing about selling online is it's um, like we launch a beer in the world share it with our whole community nationwide. And it's uh, it's great, just like right off our website. And let's talk a little bit about that. So right now, talk about your distribution. If you are doing the vast majority of your sales off of the Athletic Brewing website versus being in bars or restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. Talk a bit about that. A lot of our beer just goes through traditional beer channels. We have an incredible network of distributor partners across the country, and they sell to um, some great retail partners like Whole Foods, Kroger, Wegmans, HEB. Like most of our flagship volume, like the most popular beers I talked about, goes through them and it's readily available. It's at the best prices in people's backyards. And that's still how most people love to shop. We do also sell nationwide on our on our website too. So people can subscribe, uh, get access to limited offerings and pretty much have something new going on every week up there. For example, actually this week, uh, I was talking about Chris Cosin- Chef Chris Cosentino before, but we did a collaboration beer with him called Aftershift, which is it's something that our co-founder and head brewer, John, geeked out with Chris on and they made an incredible recipe uh, collaborating and like we sell stuff like that on our website every week. Okay. Well, I want to let you get going and, you know, in in a minute here, but I've got to ask what your, I'm going to say current personal favorite athletic beer is. I don't want to make you just say like, answer this as if this is your favorite, you know, for all time, but what is your current favorite athletic beer? So I will say, like, I obviously get access to pretty much all the beers. I have started missing out on a lot of our limited releases. So I am just, like, purchasing online as soon as I get the emails these days also. but uh, Wait a minute. Oh, for sure. You're purchasing, you're purchasing the beer yourself. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, the Chris Cosentino collaboration that came out this week, I 
I purchased that online and we had an IPA pack a week ago. And I was like, I know I'm going to miss out on two of these beers if I don't just order it now. And yeah, so I just buy it and get shipped to my house. So given the range of our beers, I always have at least five different kinds of our beers in my fridge at home. And I do try to like, I always like to pair different beers with different kinds of food and like a stout with a chili or things like that. I go to Run Wild, our flagship, a huge percentage of the time. And John and I, that might be because John and I trialed that beer so many times and really dialed it into what we really wanted to see in the non-alcoholic beer world. But uh, it also just fits so many occasions. I'd say overall, I'm an IPA guy, though. Like I will, I go for IPAs a huge amount of time. Last question. So in terms of particular sports or activities that you're most into, if not like right now, like this week, do you have like your top one and two, whether that's swimming or road cycling or mountain biking or skiing? Like what, what is kind of, what are you most passionate about currently in the outdoor game? Yeah. And I will admittedly do any workout, go on any adventure that anyone asked me to ever do. I just, okay. it's just all about being out there. And I love breaking a sweat and challenging myself. I'd say my top two are, my top one has always been skiing. I absolutely love skiing. And then my number two currently is probably trail running. Love to like, distance trail running slash hiking is probably one of my favorite things too. There's something so meditative about not only the workout and the huge calorie burn, but just being off your cell phone for like six hours at a time is like the best thing going. Are you like a gearhead when it comes to skiing? Cause I know this website, yeah, uh, you know, called blister. We kind of, we kind of dropped down the rabbit hole quite a bit. Are you, and I've said this many a times. There's a lot of passionate skiers out here, out there who love the gear, like diving into the gear stuff and others who that's not their jam. They, they'd rather just be outside. Right. But which, which side of the spectrum do you, where do you lie on the spectrum? Definitely more of a gearhead. And I wish a site like yours had come along way earlier than it did because like huh. buying ski boots and equipment can be <laughs> like like entering a marriage with ski boots. I mean, it's I had uh. a pair of super clunky but highly reviewed Nordicas for way too long. I got Surefoots a few years ago that like have been a life changer. They're super light. And yeah, I... It, it's funny you say like for so long like you had to rely on word of mouth because like like ski magazine and stuff was obviously just like a commercial dump and so yeah i definitely am from everything from skis to camping gear to hiking gear to running shoes and everything so i think we're gonna need to do some skiing at some point yeah we should make that happen you've got an open invitation out to come out to crested butte or we'll we'll link up somewhere along the way but but this is too good yeah we got a ski gearhead running a brewing company this is this is too good yeah it's an incredible part of the country you're in my brother's not too far from there so i find myself up there a decent amount of time so yeah definitely give you a shout excellent well, Bill, listen, this has been a really fun conversation and, and it's a it's a category that I've just been really curious about. In addition to being a fan of your product, I'm just really happy that I got to have this conversation about the category with 
somebody who is like making the category. So this has been really fun for me and I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thank you so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk and everything. It's it's so incredible what you guys are doing too. And it's um, so I really appreciate just, yeah, getting to meet you and, and talk about everything. Well, hey, good luck with everything going forward. And we will definitely be in touch and we got to go skiing now. Cool. Yeah. I'm down anytime. I appreciate it. I'll give you a shout next time I'm up there. All right, Bill, you take care. Cool. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Bill for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Now, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.